you know, like I'll just, I'll try things, but you know, I think like experimentation and people getting out and finding like what really works. And then once they find something that works, realize that it might be temporary, you know, it might last for six months or a year or five years. And that's fantastic, but it might not either, you know, it might just be something that gets you through today. And you know, like that's, there's great value in just knowing that that fluidity does exist in happiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Inspired Radio Show. I am your host, Amanda Johnson, and we are back today with another wonderful guest who has swirled into my life via the Facebook, which is where I am finding and attracting all sorts of like-minded people in the world, people who are out doing what they love, spreading inspiration, spreading light, spreading love. And what really excites me about today's guest is that I feel like he comes at it from a way of perspective or um, an angle or through a door that I haven't done it a lot in terms of exploring or understanding, in terms of knowing ourselves on a physical level and using the physical to perhaps um, better understand the spiritual, the mental, the emotional. I don't know how it all works, but I have a feeling it's somehow all connected. And I'm excited to talk to someone today uh, who I haven't had a chance to talk about these things with in this way yet. So today I would like to introduce you, introduce you to my guest, Blake Venichuk, who is the host of We Are I podcast, the director of the Active Sprouts Foundation, and owner of Submission Spin Club in Langley, British Columbia. Combining 15 years of professional experience and 34 years of being involved in sports and the fitness industry, Blake approaches health and fitness, and might I add his whole life, from a lead-by-example viewpoint and is the first to admit the road isn't always easy. As he likes to say, Together, let's be strong and create a new, more fierce you. Blake is also an incredibly loving and a devoted father of three beautiful girls. So Blake, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Amanda. That's uh, quite the introduction. Maybe I should just get you to walk around in life with me. There we go. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind edifying amazing people. <laughs> I have to say, it's one of my favorite parts of the show is to read someone's bio or description. And I'll, I'll be honest, Blake sent me something much shorter than that. And I said, mm, there's definitely more to you than what you just sent. So I attempted to expound based on what you had written elsewhere. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And we've had a chance to have a few conversations even before this one that um, I, I know you to be someone who is inspiring. And you haven't already, I mean, you've already inspired me um, in the short amount of time that we've had a chance to know one another. And I can guarantee that you've inspired hundreds, if not more people, um, maybe thousands, I'm not sure yet along your path. So today is going to be um, a new day for me when it comes to podcasting, because after now probably 60 plus conversations with other people, uh, I am now changing how I start this show. And I'm actually really excited about it. Um, so typically I like to pick a quote from a book that I've read on my path to jumpstart or launch our conversation. And it wasn't happening today. It wasn't flowing. I wasn't finding it. It wasn't finding me. And I've learned enough on my path that uh, there's no point in forcing things at this point on my journey and to allow it to be what it is and trust that there's some purpose or greater reason. And so when I surrendered to that and I said, okay, what else could I, you know, just be open to what, how to start this episode? This, the question that came to me is why do you do what you do? And I thought, oh my God, that's a great question to ask Blake. 
And it may very well be the way I start every following or subsequent episode. We shall see. Stay tuned for more. So today marks, um, I think, an important day on the Being Inspired Radio Show that I'm going to start this episode a little differently. So Blake, I would like to ask you, why do you do what you do? Well, I was actually thinking about that as you were entering your your way of um, getting your guests to be able to come on and you know express themselves. So my question to you would be, knowing some of the things that I do, what do you want me to talk about? Um, mm-hmm. So just say, like, for example, like, obviously, the, the work that, um, like, we do with the Active Sprouts Foundation, um, with Submission Spin Club, and the work that we do here, um, the corporate team stuff uh, that we do, the We Are I podcast, my daughters, like, there's just... I'm a, I have a lot going on in my day and I'm so passionate about all of them. As I'm thinking here, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we got some time allocated for this, but I could really just rabbit hole every single one of those. So do you want to pick a specific one or do you just want me to just start generalizing it all? Well, here's what I'll offer. Um, I have a feeling that while you have so many different things, they are all connected and Mm -hmm. they're probably connected for, um, for some purpose, uh, whether or not that's, so for example, I, um, the idea of why do we do what we do? And I, and I asked you a question prior to this that got you thinking about the idea that we need to change, uh, our way of life and that it needs to start with nutrition and movement. And by the way, I thought it was so great because you said it needs to start with movement. And I go, that's, I love that that actually means two, in my, when I read that, it meant two things for me. It meant moving the body, obviously, movement with the body. You're very, um, you're a fitness trainer. You know, that's very important to you. And when I hear the word movement, I also think of a movement. So, and I see you doing that as well, right? With your Active Sprouts Foundation, with, um, you know, incorporating work with the Boys and Girls Club, et cetera, trying to lobby with your government, for example, or whatever it is that you're doing as a movement to greater change. So I think underneath all of these things, whether or not it's the spin club or your active sprouts or your daughters or your own fitness and your own well-being as a, as a person and using your, you know, optimizing your body, I have a suspicion that there is a deeper why that you believe something in terms of, you know, of why you're here or why is this important or why, why do we need to change our way of life? So let me offer that as a way to maybe prod you a bit. So I would say with that, if we kind of just, you know, peel the onion skins back to the very beginning, you know, where, you know, my dad was extremely outdoorsy, um, fisherman, hunter, hiker, you know, farmer out of Southern Alberta, you know, Ukrainian roots, you know, just real strong person. Um, you know, my dad was no stranger to be able to take, you know, especially myself, you know, but my sister as well you know, on all these different things that he did, you know, like from extremely young ages, I would take weeks at a time out of school to be able to go on these life changing adventures that were just incredible. You know, obviously, at that point in time, you don't really realize the value of all these adventures that you're going on is kind of just something that you're doing. Sometimes you love it, sometimes you hate it. Um, But I didn't realize how it would change forever the course of my life. Uh, My mom was heavily involved in the fitness industry. Uh, she was a group fitness instructor 
you know, her classes were extremely popular, you know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, she'd have 50, 60 people in step classes, just going hard. Uh, my mom had her own fitness TV show. You know, she was that woman when you turn on the TV at like seven o'clock in the morning and you do your step aerobics before the kids got up or before you took them to school. Uh, so that was extremely cool. She had her own. Austin, was it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but no. Um, and she uh, she had her own clothing line. You know, she was just like fitness and health were like a big part of her life. You know, but my mom and my dad were the perfect balance between the both. Like my mom wasn't really outdoorsy, you know, and my dad was extremely outdoorsy. And, you know, and my dad wasn't really ever in the gym, but my mom was. So I got contrasted between those environments so much. You know, and plus my roots are being a, a Southern Alberta farmer. So connection with food, you know, gardening, you know, raising your own animals, you know, to be able to eat, you know, fishing to be able to eat, hunting to be able to eat. Like I, I've always had such an amazing connection with my food that I've consumed all through my entire life. It wasn't until I got more into like my mid 20s that I, I understood how many people don't have that, you know, and I'm. Um, just even like this, this sense, like, you know, living in BC, I have a distorted perspective of people who want to be active because we just happen to be the most active people in Canada and the United States. Um, you know, if you look, just look at the statistics that are out there, you know, we have the lowest obesity rates in all of Canada. You know, our, our obesity, you know, high is what the lowest state average is in the United States. So like, you know, like we're up there, like we're, we're technically the healthiest population in Canada and the United States. So you know, out here, but the one thing I realized is active is what people are, there was still this massive disconnection with food. But the one thing that we don't have anything of really, as much as we try in the Metro Vancouver area is a lot of farmland. You know, a lot of, you know, still, it's, it's a bigger city, you know, nestled right in the mountains. So people want to go outside, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, there's this abundance of connection with food. You know, and then I had my first daughter and, you know, I realized there's all these things that I learned growing up that were actually really important to me, but I, I didn't even value them in my own life you know, until I had my first daughter. And then I started thinking about, you know, gardening and, you know, taking her out fishing and, you know, going on little hikes. And I realized how valuable these were, you know, to me, what I wanted to teach my daughter. But then I also realized with the amount of people in my life, there wasn't a lot of other people doing these same things but it was how I grew up. So it almost seemed kind of foreign, you know, as I'm in this environment all day long talking about health and nutrition and, you know, helping people with, you know, their struggles and their battles, you know, but I never really made the connection. It's like, we're not teaching our kids anything. Hmm. So, you know, as, you know, then I had my next daughter and I realized that all of these, all these values I really have been working on with my oldest, you know, I'm like, I, I really got to make like a really substantial effort with, you know, my two children now, because I have all these years of experience having one daughter and still nothing has really changed. And if anything, I've seen kind of the opposite, you know, like more kids are getting steered away from their food and having a connection with food and, you know, like even screen time in schools, you know, like when my daughter got to kindergarten, how they're already using iPads to learn on. And I'm just like, there, there needs to be like a little bit more like of a balance here. Like we're teaching our kids about technology and, you know, like advancement, but we're also not really teaching about like fundamental roots. And 
I'm like, if I live in this province and in this city and this, you know, this urban area that's classified, you know, kind of as like the healthiest population where we should be kind of pioneering the way of this, we're still not doing a whole lot of it. So in my mind, and I'm not saying that this is actually valid, but in my mind, I'm like, well, if we should be pioneering the way and we're not really doing a good job, then there's probably a lot of other areas in Canada, the United States that are, that are not as good, doing as good a job as what we are doing. Um, so I'm like, well, how can I take this where you think that this population of people should be the most motivated for this? This is kind of where I live. If I'm like, hey, let's talk about health and nutrition. Being in this area, people would just be statically a little bit more enthusiastic about talking about it. So then that's when I decided to start the Active Sprouts Foundation because I'm like, well, the bridge is already burnt with adults. Like I work with adults all the time and, you know, whether it be six months, a year or two years, you know, people gain success and recede and, you know, like we'll fight it because it's just not who we are. We live too long another way. Like it, it, like people will achieve success, but it's hard because it's just, it's not who you are inside. Like it's still, you know, I want to go to the, Coco Pebbles, you know, you know, for breakfast, or, you know, I want to go towards like the Big Macs and all that kind of stuff. But how, how do we get away from that? And it's kids growing up in an environment where they don't really know any different, you know, so that by the time they get a little bit older, that's not, you know, they're not turning to, you know, Chips Ahoy cookies as cookies, they might want to just bake those cookies at home, you know, kind of getting back to like where it has always been and where we've just been kind of steering the ship in this opposite direction of convenience, you know, and coming to the hypothesis that this is just the right way to go. Like everything in life should be more convenient, you know, but there's a certain amount of life that people have a really negative outlook on it. Like, well, it's hard to cook meals. It takes a lot to meal prep, but you know, I'm just going to eat out. It's easier, skip the dishes, all these guys. But it breaks our connection with our food. It becomes such a generic relationship of, you know, what should be just like passion projects for us all. Like, you know, how this food is fueling our body and, you know, like what it's doing to us and, you know, how we can combat some of the symptoms of, you know, anxiety and, you know, depression and, you know, hypertension and being just more aware of what food is doing to us in our everyday environment. So. I started looking around and I'm like, okay, well, in BC, especially like we have this, um, this governing body called the Agricultural Land Commission, because we have such small acreage of land out here that can be farmed. There's been this special um, governing agency that's been created to say, we're going to protect this. Like we have extremely strict guidelines. This is for farming only. It cannot be developed. And they, they're on lockdown, which is good. The problem is, is that, you know, anybody who knows uh, or is aware of farming, every time you plant a crop, it takes nutrients out of the soil. So you have to replace those nutrients to some extent. That's where, you know, fertilizers come in, you know, like all the chemicals that we're then, you know, putting on our ground to be able to grow this food. You know, that's why like hydroponic operations have become, you know, so big, especially in BC. But the footprint is so large. So it's like, okay, well, what are some of the new ideas that are, you know, coming out of what kids could latch onto that are fun and exciting and is like next generation. So, you know, that's through the research. And then a friend of mine just so happened at the same time, he's like, you know, I just came into these new towers called ZipGrow. I'm like, well, what's a ZipGrow system? He's like, well, it's actually like a wall system that you attach to your, or some vertical farming towers you attach to your wall. 
and you can grow plants in them. You know, like you can grow like leafy greens, you can grow flowers, like you can really grow anything because it's like a hydroponic gravity fed system that you can have in your house. You can have like a two tower system in your house or four or eight, but you can provide food for a family. So I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, this is kind of exactly what I'm thinking about how we can connect kids to the future of food because, you know, typical, you know, big commercial farming, it's hard to teach a child why that's a value, especially because there's all these documentaries coming out about how bad big commercial farming is, which I'm in total agreement with. Um, you know, so how can we loop that back around? Because, you know, out here, because we're so limited to space, there's a lot of children who don't grow up in, you know, single family homes where condos, where townhouses, where there's just not a lot of space to actually have a garden, even if you wanted to. And then some bylaws in these, um, in these condo buildings and these townhouse projects say that you actually can't, or it's got to be limited to X size, which then you can't grow a lot of actual food to make it even functional for a family. So I'm like, okay, well, if there's these zip grow towers out there, then what else is there? And then it turned out that there's these foodie grow systems, you know, and like Google is actually has a ton of the foodie towers in their cafeteria, whereas a part of their salad bar and the employees just go pick off salad and leafy greens as a part of like their lunch to be able to make up their salad. So I'm like, there actually is a lot of these alternatives. I'm like, and why do more people not know about this? Like, these are like amazing new technologies that, you know, make farming on a small scale extremely applicable. So that's when we decided to, uh, with the Active Sprouts Foundation, to start working with the Langley School District and say, like, you know, we need to get these, these towers and these systems, you know, in schools. You know, even if it's in more of like a passive role, so kids can just start to see, you know, innovation statically every day. So it becomes normal to them. Like this is, this is something that's just around. You know, it's not, you know, we have to drive out to the country to see this, you know, big, you know, 200 acre farm. Like this is a farm that just happens to be in my classroom or, you know, in the hallway by the office or by the library, you know, when we walk by. So, you know, we started doing some like test projects with, you know, a lot of the children in this school system out here and they just loved it. You know, like they loved servicing them, you know, they loved being a part of it. And I really developed a strong connection with all these kids in the project because I know my girls, when we go buy vegetables from the supermarket, as much as I encourage them, you know, like let's pick out a new vegetable every couple of weeks, let's experiment, let's try. They're like, dad, like, I just don't like it. And then as a parent, I'm like, I get it because this produce tastes terrible. You know, like it, it's grown who knows where, picked at whatever stage of its life, you know, and always in its infancy of growth. So it's never going to taste good. And I'm trying to convince these children that it does. You know, like I lie to myself when I eat it. You know, how can I lie to them? And when we garden and, you know, like when our produce is ready, they will sit in the grass, you know, picking cherry tomatoes off the tree, they'll pull cucumbers off the vine, you know, they'll pull beets and carrots out of the ground and eat them with the dirt on because they actually taste good. Yeah. You know, so it's no wonder why children don't want to eat produce because the produce they're eating is terrible. But that's one thing I noticed about this is even children pulling lettuce off the towers. They're like, wow, they're like, I didn't know lettuce tastes like this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, because this is how it should taste. You know, we're, you know, we need to bring them back. And that's the awareness that these children, even most adults don't have is how good all this food actually tastes because the alternative to that is, is, you know, here's these sour keys or here are these cookies or here's this cake or this pop, this rockstar energy drink, this, you know, super premium coffee with all this extra stuff in it. 
you know, but realize that there's a huge part of health and nutrition where it doesn't have, it, it doesn't have to be this abundance of joy, like in your mouth, but it can still really actually be that at the end of the day too. Like it doesn't have to be manipulated to get there, you know, and I find it astonishing that it's not illegal that big food can hire you know, clinical psychologists to be a part of their research and development teams to be able to come up with products that are so addictive that the look of the package, the smell of the food when you walk by, the way it feels in your hand, that it just draws you to it. Like I, I, I legitimately say it all the time. I know people in my life, they're sick of hearing it, but I, I legitimately think that it's wrong. You know, just as wrong is that, you know, our governments have given these companies a three-year three period of time to be able to eliminate trans fats out of food that they're making, even though they know it kills people. Mm. Like, there's just, there's a certain amount of social responsibility that I think that we should all be taking, you know, and that our governments really need to step up their game if they truly do represent us, you know, and saying that, you know, we need change and it needs to be a lot faster. And, you know, that's like when we were talking earlier today, like, you know, it's not a made up statistic that in the United States that by 2040, like there may not be any other federal budget money allocated to any other resources except for, you know, the Medicare system, because that's how unhealthy people are. You know, and that's why I was saying like, we need to change, you know, who we are as people and how we perceive things because I'm so tired of people saying, you know, oh, they're kids, they can get away with it, or, you know, it's, oh, it's really not that big of a deal, or, you know, like the 80-20 rule, or everybody needs a cheat day, and it's like, no, like, if you want to stay stuck in your old school perspective, way of looking at things, like, no, like, no, we really don't, like, yeah, you can eat kind of a little bit, whatever, but why does it have to be, like, the cookies from the store that have five times more sugar in it that what you really need? You know, like, why, why does it actually need to be like that? Like, in, if you would just take the time, like, I bake with my girls. Like, it doesn't take long at all. And, again, it's building that connection with the food. It's getting them to not look at, you know, baking and cooking as a chore, but more something they want to do because the result of it, it tastes so much better. They want it. They have ownership over it. And then they want to share it with other people because they're excited about it. So, you know, that's how we started doing like a, a lot of the work with the, the Active Spouse Foundation, and the, the educating, you know, children about their awareness around food. Um, and we just so happen to be lucky that we're only a few blocks away from the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, so we, we host the, uh, the children from the Boys and Girls Club, you know, at submission every once in a while so that they can just come and have the opportunity to be have be a part of an environment that, you know, it does, you know, cost a little bit, you know, for people to come here, you know, and, and explore like our services and you know, not everybody can afford that, you know, but when they're here, you know, sometimes it's not just about fitness, but just being, again, my big philosophy about education is, you know, taking a more passive approach. So, you know, with the kids coming here, they might just grab the microphones and sing along to the music in the DJ booth, you know but they're seeing fitness equipment, they're seeing spin bikes and rowing machines and, and dumbbells and, you know, curiosity always kills the cat. You know, eventually one day they're going to be like, hey, you know, like, can we do a little bit of a workout just because they happen to be here? They see something fun they want to try, you know, and that's, you know, the big part of like where I want to go, and what is passionate to me, because that's how my parents raised me is just through passive education. It was never, you had to work out, but my babysitter was, you know, sitting at the juice bar of the local gym while my mom taught class or, 
you know, like when my dad went hunting in the mountains and, you know, he would bring me along and he'd just be like, go explore, like, you know, just make sure you kind of know where we are and, you know, this is how you get back, but, you know, go live life and, you know, go find some cool stuff. And I really feel like, you know, if we can connect those environments back with like our children and just passively educating them in, in healthier environments, they'll be more successful. And then they don't have to fight the battles that we're all fighting now with, you know, going and, you know, downloading apps and hiring trainers and, you know, all these different services just to try to get back to par, you know, not even back to a performance state, but just like, I need to sleep better, you know, like I need to have more energy in a day, like all these things that should come by us organically and naturally, but don't because of the way that we choose to live our lives and how inactive we are and how the food that we eat is just so unhealthy and to our overall detriment. So that's kind of, uh, yeah, I know that was a little spiel went into like a little bit of a rabbit hole there and stuff. And I probably need to drink a liter of water to help (laughs) throw it out after that one, but I'll give you a pause. You can drink and I'll, I'll respond. That was, um, you covered so much and there were a few things that came up for me. One is that I'm starting to see that those things that we are most compelled by or most, um, I'm having more and more conversations with people where it's like the reason they are doing what they're doing today or the message that they're sharing today is because it was something that came so naturally or intuitively or organically from them from a very young age. And I don't think some, some of them aren't even connecting the dots. Obviously you are in a way that you're seeing that this is, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know something else, right? Like I was raised with parents who were, healthy and fit and valuing these things. And then therefore you're seeing the, you are therefore seeing the the value in that for others that you, if we start at a young age, then it becomes ingrained. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think what's great about that is I, I couldn't agree more that um, I mean, I do believe, of course we can change. There's not like, because, you know, you didn't get this when you were a child, you, you, there's no hope. It's not that at all. But what I hear is that you're really in like motivated and on a mission to say, let's start early. Um, because there is so much benefit and value to that. And I heard you say things about the connection, not only the connection with our food, but connection with other people. I imagine that when you're baking cookies with your girls, or you're going to the grocery store to pick out fresh produce, or you're you know, gardening or doing these things, there is a connection in that as well. So the, yes, there's the connection to our food and our nourishment and our, our, you know, land, and there's the connection with others. Now you may have already touched upon it, but the question that was coming up and maybe you can go a little deeper um, with this question is you, a lot of, you talked a lot at the beginning about the value. It's so valuable to be connected to our food or to, you know, eat nutritional food, um, to be active, to move our bodies what, and you started to say a few things maybe as to why that's valuable, but I want to ask again, like why, what is so valuable about it? What has the value been in your life for having done I think, this? That yeah, way? I think the value that it's brought to, to my life, like prioritizing, you know, like my health and nutrition as a person. Um, I think that the average person is in a, really interesting place with their with their nutrition and the food that they eat and you know the movement of their body and all these these aches and pains and these symptoms that just have become social norms 
you know, sciatic nerve distress, you know, type two diabetes, you know, heart disease, high blood pressure, um, you know, stiffness and tightness of the body, you know, arthritis, um, GI distress, you know, like, I look at so many of these things, like how people are living their day that have just become absolute social norms. Like you expect to get these things at some point in time in your life because they're so socially normal, normal, but they're all just legitimate choices that you make that put you in that category. Like obviously there's some, you know, genetic predispositions and you know, like there's, there's always going to be that exception to the rule. And this is where, you know, I always get crucified by people you know, and I just say, you know, if you want to pick out the negative, that's fine, you know, but for every like one person that's, you know, genetically predisposed to any of these conditions, there's probably a thousand that are just choosing to do it, you know, and that's just, that's the reality. And, and everybody has to face that fact. Like a lot of these things we're doing are just lifestyle choices. So like knowing that and knowing the choices that I've made with my life is saying, okay, well, what are some of the things that that I've done or what are some things that I'm doing? How do I connect with those? And it really changes my overall experience because I'm willing to experiment on myself to see how some of these things change my life. So, you know, say sleep, for example, I know you and I, we've touched on this subject and stuff about your sleep, but you know, I look at it that if they say, well, the average person needs, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep. And it's like, okay, that's great. But the guys who are out, you know, males and females who are out, you know, construction workers, you know, banging hammers all day long, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, five, six days a week, you know, living in an extremely stressful physical environment, you know, versus, you know, somebody who's, you know, doing data entry. There's, there's no way in my mind that that is ever going to be relevant, that those two same people, you know, need seven to nine hours of sleep. Like it just, it's not even relative, you know. So I was like, okay, well, I'm actually going to take, you know, my Fitbit and I'm going to see like how I'm sleeping. And, you know, if I'm only going to be in REM sleep and getting my best quality sleep, the sleep that I should be in, how long is that? Like how much REM sleep am I really getting? You know, so when I was getting about seven hours of sleep, I realized I'm like, I'm not getting like any REM sleep at all. You know, I'm going through, I'm restless. I'm going through like 18, 20, 25 restless episodes a night. And I'm like, well, that's not good quality sleep. So even if I feel refreshed in a day, like I'm not feeling nowhere near as refreshed that I'm going to feel if I'm just getting better quality sleep. So then what I did is I tried extending it first and saying, okay, well, if I sleep a little bit longer, does that help? And then I noticed like within the first couple of nights, well, that's completely the opposite going the wrong way. So I started cutting my sleep back and I've actually refined it down to about four and a half or five hours of sleep. That by the time that I go to bed, I fall asleep instantly. I sleep like a zombie until I wake up in the morning. And that entire four and a half hour, four and a half hours and five hours of sleep that I'm getting at night is entirely in REM sleep. You know, so in my mind, I'm like, if that's going to be the most beneficial to me and I wake up, I feel great. Mm. You know, so I think that's where, again, like we're so indoctrinated that everybody has to be the same way. You know, everything has to be the same for everybody, but it's not. And what we're not encouraged to do or to think is outside the box where, you know, you might need to do some individual experimentation, you know? So, and then, you know, the same thing, like I used to be a big pro and I used to tell people all the time. And now I feel like a massive hypocrite that, you know, you should eat breakfast in a day. And mm -hmm. 
Well, now I realize this, okay, well, like, let's analyze your day. And again, the same thing. You know, you take the data entry person, a person sitting at a desk, you know, whether they have a high stress or low stress job, you know, you could be a CEO and feel extremely stressed out over everything that you have to manage. And somebody who's doing data entry, you know, could feel extremely stressed out based on what they're doing. Their stress levels could be exactly the same, but it's not physically stressful, you know, versus the person, you know, the framer, the carpenter who's done it a million times, knows it through and through, does an amazing job. It's physically taxing, but they're not thinking about it as much anymore. Well, the the two different meals that those people realistically should be eating in a day, well, the person who's sitting behind the desk who just needs increased cognitive function, well, you don't need a lot of calories for increased cognitive function. You just need the right assets. So, you know, like for me, if I have like a morning where like I need increased cognitive function, you know, I'm two tablespoons of fish eggs, you know, in my warm water. Um, with turmeric and you know usually between 800 and 1200 milligrams of lion's mane you know all the things that I know they're just going to cognitively set me on fire you know and they do my body just shuttles those nutrients in you know a lot of the nutrients the EPA is going to cross the blood brain blood brain barrier and just blast me with everything that I need to be cognitively strong you know now if I have a lot of physical work to do you know in the morning then that's when I'm like okay well I need some actual like calories to be able to accomplish this where you know then I might be like a an avocado with two or three tablespoons of goat cheese with some black pepper or something you know like where I have like good quality calories because I need that energy to be able to accomplish these physical tasks so again it's kind of like you know assessing and that's where I say to people with diet like you know, you can't be nor should you be on the same diet every single day for the rest of your life. Like, you know, things are going to change day to day. You know, things are going to change week to week. Like there's nothing that we do that's sustainable that if you think, okay, well, I'm going to do this seven days a week for the next 40 or 50 years. Like those are the environments that make people unhealthy and just crave change. And then when you're craving change, sometimes you do make bad choices. You eat a caramel. You know, Eat a caramel, yeah, or like those like fantastic smelling cinnamon buns or, you know, like anything along those lines, right? You know, and then, you know, so again, it's the, I realize that in those environments where if I just take that time out and I don't look at it as like a chore or it's tedious, it's just, it's experimenting with myself and saying, okay, well, I love feeling great in a day. Like, I love feeling fantastic, you know, and when people say to me, like, Blake, you know, how do you have so much energy, like, you know, whether it's, 4:30 in the morning or you know well it's four o'clock when I start working out but you know when I first start seeing you know people it's usually about you know 4 15 4 30 in the morning and I have just as much energy energy then is that like eight nine o'clock at night you know but I also have to say to people I'm like you have to be willing to be able to make the changes every day you know and do the experimentation with your body to foster that environment Okay. I love all this. And you said something, I'm going to interject because you said something just there. Um, and we'll see if we can get a couple things out here that I want to say, because first of all, you said, um, that, I mean, I love everything you were saying and I'm also inspired. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, maybe I have a lot I can, I can evaluate, but you, there was, when I was looking for a quote to kick off our episode, there was one book I went to and it's ironic because I think it's a book that you and I talked about the very first time we talked, um, which is Becoming Supernatural by Joe Dispenza. And I have not read the whole book, but it has served as you know inspiration um, for a few episodes here. And actually I've passed it on to friends who've loved it. Now, interestingly, uh, the quote that I found from that was talking, uh, telling a story of a client or a woman that he had worked with named Anna and um, how she was doing these meditations. And she was, you know, 
trying to open her heart further and further through these, but she, so, and this is what connects with what you just said. The, the, he was telling, talking about Anna and said, instead of seeing her meditations as something she had to do every day, she started looking forward to them. It became her way of life. Doing the work became her habit. And then her energy and vitality returned. She stopped taking antidepressants. Thought patterns completely changed. Feelings were different. Um, she felt like she was in a new state of being. So her actions changed drastically. And what I, I guess, again, I, I didn't want to read it because I didn't think that was really going to sum up what we were going to talk about. But I love that you connected back to that in that you don't look at this as something you have to do. It's not a, it's, it's an experiment. It's a, it's fun. It's a habit. It's how you want to live your life, which then begs this question. And I'm wondering how far we can go with the, the amount of time we still have left, but I, I want to take it to another, like I want to go deeper or go further and ask, I think the big question was, is like, why does all this matter? Like, why does it matter to you to be as maximized as you can be or optimized rather, you know, like, why is that, why does it matter? Um, you know, and that's actually a really good question. And I think about that all the time. And like, I always come back to this same answer and, you know, I'm going to throw you under the bus this and ask you this question is, how how many minutes of your day are you willing to live where you don't feel awesome? Wow. That's a great question because I'll tell yeah. you this morning, like there was, I probably spent my first mm, half hour to an hour just not feeling great. And mm -hmm. I had thoughts being like, hmm, okay, wouldn't it be great not to be feeling this way right now? I mean, I, I've learned a lot around acceptance and surrender and all the things and yada, 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 blah, yada, which is why I think I'm ready to go physical soon because I've done a lot of mental gymnastics um, around my state of being. And I think that's a phenomenal question because I do know that this, while I'm in eternal essence energy, my physical body is very finite. So great question. Yeah. So see, and I just want to clarify for your listeners too, that, I think one of the most detrimental aspects to like anybody who's trying to, you know, sell the image of being or feeling awesome sets people up to think that it's going to be like that every day because I don't feel awesome every second of every day. But when I ask you that question, it's more of like an existential question. It's just like theoretically, mm -hmm. if it's not okay for you to feel like crappy or terrible or just, you know, don't feel fantastic in a day. Like what changes are you willing to make to cut those percentages down? Because those percentages, they'll always be there. Like you, you can never change it. Like nor should you want to change it. There's extreme value in, you know, waking up and feeling terrible because the days you wake up and feel awesome, you're like, yes, how do I get back here? And like there's extreme value in being begged at the end of the day, being like, you know, I just, I crushed that day. I feel fantastic. This is why I'm tired, but not like, I can't understand why I'm tired. I didn't do that. That, you know, when I look at it, that I want to be able to cut that down and to be able to stack the cards in my favor because I always want to be preventative, not reactive. And we live in a world of reactivity where, you know, you're, you feel bad. So then I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to take these pills and then I am going to feel better, hopefully, you know, but. What if you just try to stop that at the beginning saying, well, and that's what I look at it with the kids is like, well, 
I want to be able to curb that from the very start, or I want to be a part of a movement that is willing to stand up and say, like, these kids deserve so much more from all of us. We are not being socially responsible. You know, when I'm getting newsletters home at the beginning of the year from school saying, please don't pack like juice boxes, you know, and cookies in your kids lunch, try to, you know, be mindful of the teacher, you know, and being respectful, which I get, you know, jacking kids up on sugar and say, here's 30 kids. Now go successfully teach them. Like how socially irresponsible is that, you know, but at the end of the day, from an individual parenting perspective is that, you know, why do I want to do that to my child too? Knowing that these people, these professionals recognize what it's doing to, you know, my child and then these children as a whole, you know, but my child is still in there and I'm throwing them under the bus, you know? So we just, we need to have a little bit more accountability to how we perceive life and nutrition and food and, and what it does to us because we've never had the accessibility to horrible eating habits is like what we do now. And the worst part about it is that, you know, people who want to stand up and say like, you know, we do need to change this. There's no doubt about it. There needs to be change. Like those people get ostracized, but not that much anymore. Like we're, we're coming around, like the army is there. You know, and that's the point behind like the We Are I podcast is, you know, like the we is more the singular than the I is the plural saying like, look, you know, all of you, that one person in that social network, those 10 people in that community, you know, like those 30 people in that urban center, those 100 people in a, in a country, like we all need to get together. Like if each one of those people had a podcast of their own, just to be able to represent their thoughts saying, I'm a part of this movement that would make me happy like mm -hmm. just like that's all my real goal my real aim is with we are is because there's not should not be one person on the pedestal you know for any situation in life because then you set that person on the pedestal for failure you know and then all the people leveraging that person on the pedestal is they're gonna fail as well you know yeah. but the one thing that we all need to do is collectivize and just say like hey we're all at this same place like there is no self-help let's all get there we all can be empowered we're strong like i'm the next empowerment movement it's like no like we just need to get back to living a life how we got to this point over hundreds of thousands of years and it's only in the last maybe what 100 years and specifically more like the last 50 to 70 that we're just like well all these things that we've done to get here we know so much better now we're going to package our food we're going to process our food we're going to have mass commercial farming we use steroids and antibiotics. We're going to ship food from halfway across the world. And you know what? Now we have the better system. <laughs> you know, and when we look at all of these other countries around the world and it's like, oh, go Canada. Okay, go United States. You know, like we're so good. We're so awesome. You know, like we're Western. We're progressive. You know, we have people's rights and minds. And it's like we don't have our citizens' basic healthcare needs in mind mm -hmm. at all. You know, and then you take like, you know, Veronica Yu, who's on my podcast, you know, who, you know, you know, she's Asian. And, you know, when she was growing up, like, that's the one thing that, you know, her parents taught her, you know, growing up in Korea saying like, you know, like, look, it's simple. It's like these simple foods, you know, like yams were a big deal on Friday night. Well, what's a big deal on Friday night in Canada or the United States? It's definitely not yams. You know, but it goes back to overall health and wellness and health and nutrition. Then the trickle up factor of that is, you know, like mental health, chronic disease. And, you know, again, when we're choosing to be able to live with these diseases and these chronic ailments, because 
we think that is just a natural progression of life, but it's only a natural progression of life in Canada and the United States predominantly. Like, why can't we see that? Like we're in this distorted bubble that is so isolated and we're hyper protected, you know, by big food is saying, no, no, no. You know, we actually know better, you know, and like I ask people all the time, like, do you know about those Harvard scientists that, you know, got paid off by the sugar industry to be able to manipulate the results, you know, of their findings, you know, labeling fat is, you know, a huge factor of overall heart disease, but it's actually sugar. Like they've came out and admitted that now, but like, why, why isn't that message just blasted everywhere saying like, look, these guys, they just couldn't not live with it anymore. They had to come out and say something like this is, this is the information. This is why we changed the way that we eat was based on this information. And it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't we admit that? Like, why, why is that message not such at a forefront of being projected in the media when we want to ostracize, you know, like celebrities for, you know, I don't even know, acting crazy at a, a nightclub. You know, like, yeah. why not can we just get back to like, you know, wholesome values of saying, okay, like, look, we have big, big issues in Canada and the United States. And the foundation of that all is nutrition. And, you know, it all is from a, a lack of exercise and a priority and a connection with, you know, food and health. And like, it hurts me inside, you know, that kids drinking rock star energy drinks. Like I didn't even drink coffee till I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I look at these like eight, 10, 12 year old kids walking down the street with coffee and energy drinks. And I'm just like, what do you need that much energy for when you're sitting there playing on your phone and not doing anything physically active? Like you don't even need that. Plus look how young you are. You have an abundance of energy flowing through your body. Well, and I think you also know, here, I want to say this because I think this is going to maybe tie it back to where we started. And even just to me, the whole really like what you're saying and why you're saying it and why you're so on fire about it, which is very um, inspiring, which is that we've actually gotten further away from our true nature. Now I've been looking for my true nature from a very spiritual perspective. Equally, it's, there's no separation, right? So our, our, our true nature also is not consuming excess amounts of, or needing excess amounts of sugar and things and, and living in a very overweight, you know, body that's coming, you know, coming up with diseases and, and all these things, right? Like that's not our natural state. And so I love that there is a whole, I'm at least seeing a connection. And I think there's a lot of people who could sit here and say, well, and myself included at one point in time, I could have sat here and said, well, you know, we need to accept what is, or there's needs to be an acceptance. And I believe that equally, that doesn't mean we need to bend over or roll over and allow, you know, whatever to keep happening, to keep happening because we think this is the new norm. And yes, we can love and accept ourselves and everyone else exactly as they are in this very moment. And that doesn't mean we can't make change or be a, a promoter of change or, um, you know, again, start a movement to, and what I hear you saying, which I think is so powerful is, I mean, it's not about looking good. I mean, I'm, you look great. You know, I'm sure you feel great. You know, all these things. It's not, a, it's not even about that. What I'm hearing you say is it's about getting back to our true nature so that we can reconnect with who we really are. And we aren't drugged up or, you know, on these fixes and live, living lives that then we need medication and more medication and more medication until we die. And so I love that that to me is what this is all about. You know, and, and it really, you know, and I, 
I always try to challenge people to say, like, look at some of these ancient, you know, um, tribes that just have no real contact with the world. Like, like they're pretty fit, pretty strong looking people, you know, but then you look at, you know, people in Western culture who have all these accesses and, uh, or access to a lot of, um, you know, different entities that are, you know, even free, you know, like for like gym memberships or, you know, grants you can apply for fitness or just, you know, schools you can go to. Like there's a lot of avenues to be active that aren't going to cost you a lot of money, but, you know, we just, we're not choosing to explore them. And, you know, I, I think another thing, like, I don't know if your, your listeners would think that by how I'm talking that I happen to be vain because I'm actually the furthest thing from it. You know, I don't, I look at my body physically, um, not as in like, I don't eat healthy and I don't work out to have a nice body by any stretch of the imagination. I, again, like I'm just more performance. If, if I want to go for a run, however long I want to be able to physically do that. You know, if I want to do a Sudoku puzzle, I want to do really good at it and, you know, have fun. You know, if I want to go paddle boarding, I want to have the capability to be able to do it. So you know, I don't want to look at any of these things as barriers as, oh, well, you know, my hamstrings are too tight or, you know, like I don't have the stability to do that or, you know, I don't understand. I, like I, I just, I, my body is this tool to be able to propagate excitement in my body, you know, my mind. Like I just, I want to be able to just, I want to feel excited. I want my mind to be on fire with excitement and, you know, like that's how, like I want to live my life and, you know, I think the campaigns like, you know, Dub's campaign for natural beauty, you know, I post horrible pictures of myself online all the time just to be able to say like, hey, you know, take the filters out, you know, yeah. we don't really need them, you know, we don't need to set ourselves up like that, like, hey, you know, like, everybody is just, we have the chance to be beautiful naturally, like, let's just explore that, like, it doesn't have to be like all of these, you know, environments that are just so hyper conceptual or conceptualized over perfection. You know, like we can just be, you know, because I think a lot less people would worry about what their body looked like if their mind just felt good, you know, and it's something that you brought up is you're, you're tapping into a very big spiritual part of your journey. And it's like, well, if you just look at it, if, if you're not giving your body the tools nutritionally to be able to really tap into this like amazing resource that is your mind to be able to help bridge the gap of the spiritual connection because a lot of that is, you know, conceptual thought and awareness and being present within your, your mind, you know, and letting it kind of guide you. Well, if you're stacking your, the cards against yourself, can you even achieve that spiritual awareness that you really want to the, the degree that's possible, you know, simply just based on your eating habits. And, you know, another thing that like we were talking about before with, you know, meditation, I know that you do a lot of meditation and I do as well, you know, where, we were talking about how I do two different styles of meditation. And one of them is for, I try to shut the doors to be able to help, you know, be more productive in my day and say, okay, well, I have 10 thoughts going through my mind, but I need to focus on this singular task. So when I meditate, it's just about shutting the doors, focusing on my breathing, coming back to the breathing, thought creeps in, shut that door, focus back on my breathing, you know, but then, we were talking about the other style of meditation that I do, which I'm sure has a specific name, just I'm not aware of it, that I allow my mind to tell me what it wants to prioritize. And then I think about that to be able to clear the plate of subconscious thought that it's affecting my conscious activity. You know, especially at times when I need to be very cognitively sharp, you know, I don't want my subconscious thinking about something that's either positive or negative. 
So I just take that time to be able to say, okay, you know, brain, where are we at right now? Like, like what's going on inside of you? And you just find, you know, like that piece and you just allow enough time to be able to go by where those thoughts just start creeping into the forefront of thought. It's almost like lucid dreaming. And you just say, okay, well, these are the things that for whatever reason, my subconscious is prioritizing right now. You know, how can I get these and clear these off my plate so I can be more efficient at what I'm doing next? Mm, it's so good. And I, there are so many other now avenues and, and ideas coming up that, I mean, we don't have time to talk about now, or I'm not allowing us to have time for to talk about now, but maybe we'll have another conversation because I'm thinking, oh, like this is, this is so it. And even, I mean, even the whole idea of, yeah, why, why do we consume the way we consume now and, and um, getting, we're so far, so far from who we are true nature and how that does support us on a spiritual path, on a, a, a mental level. I mean, it's all interconnected. And that's, that is my biggest learning lately is that none of this is separate. And so if you want to, if you want to be um, uh, understanding things from a more spiritual or cognitive level, the, the physical body is part of that. It needs to be a part of that. And again, I have been very, very lucky not to struggle with weight or my body in any way. So I have not had to pay attention to it. And yet I know if I am more optimal in my physical health than other times and how that impacts other areas of my life. Um, so, and I want to also offer sometimes, sometimes we do have to enter the door mentally first. Sometimes we do need to do the mindset work. Sometimes we do need to do the spiritual work. And then that leads us to the physical um, I think, and I say that because I think there was a long time in my life that I wasn't even capable of doing the things I do now physically because I was so hard on myself and I actually was my own worst enemy. And so I wasn't able to make progress physically because of where my mind was at. So I, anyone out there listening, I offer that because we all come at it from different places. And Blake is a beautiful example of having been someone who, again, it was, that was his nature. That's how he was raised. It was not out of the norm. Um, this was his norm. And now he's able to take all of that life experience and passion and, and motivation and help others to achieve and attain things that they want in their life. And more importantly, I think, start young with these people. I mean, get in with the kids and say, this is the, another way. This may be a better way. But my point is that we all will access our true nature from different portals and I want anyone listening to, if you weren't the one who did it via the physical means, or maybe you think you're the one who never could, I challenge you now because I never thought I would be one to think of the physical body or the physical components as important. Um, and I've actually had a lot of resistance to it in my life. And I'm, I'm opening up to it because I'm seeing the importance. I'm seeing the value. And I had to access that via another portal. So keep going is what I'm saying and begin to see how these are all related and there is no separation ultimately, but you're going to resonate with something uh, at a certain time in your journey that you may not have at another time. So I know that's why Blake is on the show today and why you're all here listening. You know, and it is a, a constant evolution where, you know, again, it's trying to not get stuck in the singular entities of life and, you know, when I coach people towards like health and wellness, I say the worst thing that you can do is ever imprison yourself in a gym. And, mm -hmm. and ironically, I have one. So, but the one thing that we all as, you know, a family here, we will go hiking and snowshoeing and camping and paddleboarding and, you know, hop on the road bikes and, or go for runs. Like it just, it's so much more because there's just, that's just life. Like, and I, it's like the, the evolution, 
and things are different today than, you know, like what they're going to be tomorrow. And, you know, you know, today might be more physical health and tomorrow might be more like emotional awareness, you know, they just, and kind of rolling with that. Like I used to be very steadfast in saying that, okay, well, I need to be doing this. If I'm not doing this, my wheels are coming off the bus. But then I kind of just started rolling with the punches a little bit more and saying, okay, well, you know, from a really simplistic view, like, well, I don't always have to lift weights to be healthy. You know, I can do like a little bit more cardio or I might like run a little bit more or I just kind of go with what, what's my first thought? I kind of just allow myself to be able to think like, what am I going to enjoy the most right now? And go with that, you know, and, and sometimes I'll go through spurts where, you know, my health and wellness strategies are coming by experimenting with, you know, more sauna or more, you know, cold water immersion or just, you know, cold shock therapy, you know, like I'll just, I'll try things. But, you know, I think like experimentation and people getting out and finding like what really works. And then once they find something that works, realize that it might be temporary, you know, it might last for six months or a year or five years. And that's fantastic, but it might not either. You know, it might just be something that gets you through today. Yeah. And, you know, like that's, there's great value in just knowing that that fluidity does exist in happiness. Yes. Oh my God. Like, boom, there it is. <laughs> that is such a great, such a great way to complete our conversation. I love it. And I am, yeah, it just, it's so, it was so perfect. So perfect. Um, so may I ask you Three closing questions. Is your battery going to die? No, I'm good. Good. Okay. I so I've, I always ask three questions of my guests to end to understand uh, what inspires you, and so you know whatever comes up first thing that comes to mind, or you know just like you would think about how you want to move your body today. So the first question I ask is, who is a source of inspiration for you, and why? Oh, I have so many. Um... I would say the steadfast inspiration in my life is my daughters um, because I, I want them to grow up and never live a day of their life thinking that I didn't give them opportunities or didn't lead by example or just like offer life to them on a guided silver platter. Um, I say guided silver platter because I will, I will never offer my offer life to my daughters on a silver platter, um, but I will always guide them down that direction and give them the tools to be able to be successful. Um, but they are thoroughly my inspiration. I, I play hard for them. You know, I work hard for them. You know, I live my life for them and I think about them every single day and I would give anything and everything up for just to see them smile and just to make them happy. They're, they're the gems and the jewels of my heart. And as much as like I, I could sit here for another hour and just list <laughs> person after person after person about the ins how they're inspirational to me and I don't know why I have been so blessed in life to have so many people who are just incredible human beings like they are just amazing human beings and I I am so blessed to have them in my life um one day I might figure out why I'm deserving of them being in my life, but um, I would say the root of my inspiration to be able to conquer my day and set a good example is definitely my daughters. 
That is a beautiful answer. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you my answer to your question of why you're so deserving. I was already thinking of it before you asked. So another common theme or um, anyway, what I see across the board when I have these conversations is typically whoever, um, however a guest answers that question, whoever they choose inevitably is because they're a true represent, they're a mirror or a reflection of who my guest is and my guest just can't typically see it. And so when you expressed that you've had so many amazing people in your life, what I heard was, well, that's because that is who you are. We attract that which we are. And so to me, there that is why. It's not that you are deserving or a non-deserving. It's the fact that you have attracted into your life the type of person you are. And that is true for all of us. So I don't think it's really any more complicated than that. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that immensely. Yeah. So... Uh, and I'm not just trying to talk you up, honestly. <laughs> I meant that uh, the most sincere thing I could have said. It was well. Very- if you want to, you can. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little Leo, right? So you're on the cusp. There's a little Leo in you. All right. So my second question: What place or activity most inspires you right now? Oh, squash! Oh. Right now, with my with my squash like activity. Um, and you're probably asking me at a bad times. I just had, I just played some of the best squash I have ever played in my entire life this morning. There's, there's just nothing that makes me feel more alive than when I'm playing sports in general and I'm on, but just like the real intense sport that I'm playing right now is squash. And uh, the guy that I play with just happens to be like, just absolutely amazing at racket sports and generally is a, national champion for badminton and it's just transferred over into every single other um racket sport and i play with him four days a week and today i just lit the place on fire and i just i love the way it makes me feel the rest of the day and you know like a lot of that is just like so like the result because i can also come away from playing squash just feeling like oh man i can't believe i played that bad but um overall in general like the activity that I'm doing right now that just makes me fired up and I just I love to play is squash yeah and it just it fills my tank for for sure amazing I have just decided that any any activity where there are balls flying at my face has never ended well so um, (laughs) that is yours um I can't say I've played squash maybe racquetball once are they the same thing or are they different uh, slightly different, slightly different. And yeah, we play kind of like an extreme version because, you know, I grew up playing years of football and, um, that's, uh, it's kind of carried over into sports. So there's, it's not shy for there to be blood on the floor and the walls because we're diving for shots. And like, we, we get a little, well, I guess me more than anything, I just, I don't have a perception of when to stop. So when there's a point to be scored, I'm getting it by, by any means necessary. Sacrifice the body. Goodness, we are learning so much about you today. Uh, and I, anyway, we'll offline. I'll have to tell you about my like one one time of going out for volleyball and how that ended. Okay, so <laughs> I've seen a lot of bad volleyball moments, so I could only imagine what happened. Well, anyway, it probably isn't even that that exciting. But anyhow, so my last question is: um, 
I always like to ask my guests about books because I personally am an avid reader and I have learned and gained so much value and insight and inspiration and wisdom through books. So is there a favorite book that has inspired you on your journey? Uh, I think this is kind of an interesting answer for me. So I, I'm an avid reader as well. Um, I love reading books about people's adventures, you know, physical adventures, just things that they've endured and the hardships along the way. Um, but one book that really spoke to me as a person and connecting with others, um, I wish I could remember her name. I can't remember, but she was an executive at Facebook. She wrote the book Option B. And right at the very beginning of the book, like she was explaining about taking away from other people's ability to be able to contribute to their lives, to our lives, to fulfill their or fill their bucket. You know, because I've never really, I've always been one of those people that, you know, I love to help people, love to be there to support people, um, drop everything to be able to do it. You know, but when people ask like, you know, hey, Blake, can I do this for you? I'd be like, no, no, that's okay. I can do it. You know, but reading this book and one thing that she talks about is, you know, she's specifically talking about grieving, but I think the transfer is to everything in general is that you devalue that person's contribution to your life, by not allowing them to be able to contribute in their way. Mm -hmm. You know, so if somebody says, can I grab you a glass of water? That might be the only way at that time, no matter what's going on in your life, that they feel like they can connect with you. And you've now taken that away from them. And it's just not fair. You're selfishly looking at it from your own perspective, but not valuing how they feel like they can contribute to you. You know, another person might be, you know, I have this couch for you to sleep on. And you're like, well, I don't really want to sleep on a couch. So, you know, I'm going to take a cab home, you know, or, or something like that. Like, and not saying that you always have to do these things. And I might be offering some poor examples right now, but it's being aware of the offerings that people give you because that's a part of who they are. And that's, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with how they feel like they can contribute to your life. And it profoundly changed mine, you know, like, and you know, I think it's also subjective. Like, you know, you don't want to take advantage of people either, but you know, I think if you come from like a pure heart in a really good place, you can start to see like when people make these, these suggestions, these offerings of how they can help you in your life. Um, you know, like if somebody's like, you know, Hey, can I grab you something to eat? You know, even if you're not that hungry, just to say, yeah, maybe I'll just have like a little snack or maybe I'll take something to go. Thing is, like it, it doesn't have anything to do with your hunger. It has everything to do with that person feeling like I fed them. I feel good. Oh, you know, and you've, wow. you've taken that away from them just because you're like, well, I'm not hungry or I'm going to grab something on the way or I'll eat when I get home. You know, and it's just, it's, it's offering that avenue for that person to be able to connect with you. And like I said, it, the, over the last year and a half, it has absolutely changed my life. Um, and I would say the other book that, it just, my sister bought me this book is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And the personal accountability from a, a completely different approach. If anybody hasn't read that book, I would absolutely suggest it because not only is it, 
it written in a completely different style that I, I feel personally is very easy to connect with, you know, but it's more, you know, no matter what it is and no matter whether or not it was a result of you, like just own it. Like what, what's really the problem with owning it? Like if somebody needs to be able to transfer something else onto you, you know, that may or may not be a result of you just own it, you know, just mm -hmm. personal accountability, you know, and just being able to sit down and, and say like, look, you know, I realize this may not have anything to do, you know, like with me or like, how can I change or how can I improve and how can I get better? You know, not just a stale and uneducated saying that, you know, this me that I've been for the last five years is going to be the me that I want to be or should stay for the next 30. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's looking at ways to be able to change and improve and, you know, not from like an anxious, you know, like I need to constantly be improving way, but you know, as we go through our life and we experience different things, we can't always be just the same person, we you know, and it's saying like, you know, I, I've done, <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, it, possible. yeah. And you know, and it's just, you know, it's all these like this, like the personal accountability. So it's like, I feel the the combination between those two books, taking a, a really unorthodox amount of accountability in my life saying that, no matter what this situation is, that no matter whether or not I feel like it has anything to do with me, taking the accountability for it and saying, okay, if what somebody needs to do to be able to change this situation is to take accountability for it, that will be me. But the one thing we're going to do from now on is we're going to change and we're going to move on. You know, because whether it's good or it's bad or it's stressful or, you know, happy, it could be anything. It was like, you know, like this is good. I got this. You know, like, like let's let's do this and let's move on. Like let let's keep this going. You know, like let's not always look at, you know, who can point the finger at who or who can blame the next person or, you know, and just understanding, you know, ways that we can all contribute. And just say like, you know, valuing other people's opinions and realizing that there is going to be difference in the, in opinions and finding value in that and not trying to argue a point of why they're wrong. Mm. So I, I've never heard of either of those books and they both sound phenomenal. Um, and I love that. Well, the first one for me is all about learning how to receive, which is something that I've definitely been working on in my, um, on over the past few years. And the, the second one that you just talked about is what, I mean, these are how I would, you know, the words I would use to describe the same thing you just said, which is um, radical self-responsibility call it accountability, call it ownership, but it is radical self-responsibility, which is also something I've been very, very intentional about over the past few years. And the thing that I see in common with both of those that you pointed to is uh, that both require us to not take things personally. And that's one mm -hmm. of the four, you haven't read that book by Don Miguel Ruiz. One of the four agreements is to not take things personally or not make things personal. And I think there's so much power in that. And, and again, to see that you just pointed to two different books with two different messages and two different lessons, but they both are rooted in that. Um, to me, she says that there's a lot to be found when we remember that it's not about us. And yet, and yet we still have the power. Um, that's the only thing we do have. I mean, we're always at cause and at choice. And if we know that and remember that, then we can change and evolve and create whatever we desire next. At least that's what I'm being uh, told and I'm starting to experience in my life. So thank you mm -hmm. for those, those uh, recommendations. Yeah. And you know, just the, the combination of both of those, those books, and it's really helped fine tune my personal sovereignty. 
Um, absolutely. And it's something that I really value the most in um, just really, really being able to understand who you are, what's important and, you know, having that personal sovereignty and the ability to be able to stand up and just say like, Hey, like, you know, I want you to be able to afford me the opportunity. I'm saying that you might not agree with me, but that's okay. You know, because I might not agree with you and that's okay too. You know, but it doesn't have to be this, you know, constant battle and, you know, pushing and shoving match because each person can have their own opinion and the other person can value that and you can still move on at the end of the day. So, that's yeah. Awesome. I feel it'd be one of those things where I'm just going to keep on talking and talking until you're oh, like, Blake, we're gonna have, we're you know, gonna we're going to cut it off. I know this has been epic. And we, and we, we stayed connected the whole time, which is great. So um, thank you, Blake, for being here and sharing your, I mean, your passion, you were so passionate and that is it, it's oozing through the microphone and um, mm -hmm. which I, I get. Um, anyway, I really appreciate that. And thank you all to those who are listening and um, yeah, are, are sticking it out to see where this beautiful conversation just, oh my goodness, it evolved and unfolded into ways that I couldn't have imagined. So thank you. Yeah, and anybody looking that if they, you know, want to get in contact, you know, yes. with me, you can reach out, um, you know, weareipodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram at weareipodcast, uh, same thing, Facebook um, at weareipodcast, um, also uh, Blake.Benichuk on Instagram, Blake Benichuk on Facebook, you know, check it out because, yeah, and I just, I want also, people, if they're going and they they want to be able to um, check out my avenues, I've I've kept a lot of my personal stuff um, open and haven't closed it off to the public uh, as well because, like, I want people to be able to see, like, the years behind this journey, mm. and how it's not just something that you know I stumbled upon you know just recently, and this is really you know, it's been, been a lot of years of fine tuning, and it'll be another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of fine tuning all the time, but just knowing that um, I value the, the education in myself and, you know, wanting to be able to, to make those changes in myself. And that's what I, I really truly value. So um, mm -hmm. feel free to reach out um, more than willing to engage in conversation at any time. Um, and I just really want to thank you, Amanda, for allowing me the pleasure to be able to come on your podcast. I just, I absolutely loved every minute of it. I'm so glad. And I will make sure all of those links and ways of finding you and connecting are also in the show notes. And um, of course, you can see his name at the top here to know how to spell it and look him up. Please do so. Um, I, I, I know that he will serve as an inspiration in your life as well. So until next time, many, many blessings. <laughs>